Thanks for joining us today on Mormonland, where we explore news in and about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce. I oversee the Salt Lake Tribune's faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Hello, Peggy. Hi, Dave. We remind our listeners about another way to support Mormonland. Just go to patreon.com, where with a small donation, you can access transcripts to our podcasts and our complete newsletter. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Mormonland. Now for today's show. In January, Salt Lake Tribune columnist Gordon Monson stepped away from writing about the WNBA, NBA, NFL, NCAA, MLS, MLB, and the alphabet soup of the sports world to comment on another acronym, LDS. A practice, practicing and believing member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he rattled off 20 reforms he'd like to see his faith undertake. Now, Monson again departs from the Utah Jazz stretch drive, college football spring drills, and March Madness matchups to offer, in a sort of journalistic makeup call, 20 things he likes about his church, from its lay curdled clergy and meeting house basketball courts to its opportunities for service and its emphasis on Jesus. He joins us today via Zoom to discuss the positives he sees in the church day. Gordon, welcome back to Mormonland. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Hi, Peggy. Hi. <laughs> so, Gordon, of these two columns, the one about the changes you'd like to see the church make and the latest one about what you like about the church, which one was easier to write? <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble right off the bat, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I, I <laughs> well, look, it was easier to write the the changes that I wanted because it was so clear in my mind. When it comes to figuring out what I like about the church, um, then that gets complicated because I had to really think through a lot of stuff. Uh, to uh, it wasn't like it was that difficult to come up with things I like, but what were the twenty things that I was going to discuss in this column? That was a little more difficult. I was going to ask you, you know, you probably had to think about and as the process, what do I want to focus on? What do I where do I want to go? Did you find yourself changing your mind a lot or not really? I mean, there are some look, there are things that I didn't include that I could have. Uh, but and I tried to keep it light. I mean, I threw in the basketball stuff and all that, uh, just kind of trying to have a little fun with it. But uh, it. Yeah, I had to probe through a lot of things that I've thought about during my life in order to, to come up with I, with the things that I wanted to discuss in this setting. And one thing I want to make clear to everybody is nobody forced me to do this. Dave, you know the process that took <laughs> place on this. It was the idea of a reader. And you and I talked about it. I thought, yeah, I got no problem with doing things I like about the church. I mean, Hell, if I hated it that much, I wouldn't wouldn't be a part of it, right? So I I had no problem with coming up with the you know continuing on with the idea of doing stuff that I actually like about the church. But no church leader came to me and said, "Hey, you better make up for those criticisms." In fact, I'll say this, David Peggy, that it was remarkable to me when I did the twenty things I would change. How many people who are involved in the church in leadership positions contacted me and said that they agreed with me? Hmm. And, you know, I made the joke about uh, don't throw me out of the church because I'm writing this column. Well, 
a lot of local leaders said, hey, man, uh, we agree with a lot of what you said, although they said they would call me a liar if I said that publicly. So don't call me a liar. <laughs> so so what's been the reception to this, some would say, more positive piece? Actually, it's been more negative than the uh, than than what happened with the first one, mm-hmm. which was I mean, I figured that might happen because. The church has a real problem right now. There are a lot of people out there who hate the church. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, I know that sort of in, a, in, in the back of my mind. But, man, I got a lot of contact from people saying, oh, this is a joke. Why do you even believe this crap? And on and on. And it, it still blows my mind a little bit because I think, what has the church done? What is, and you guys would know this better than me, probably because you've studied it more. But why is there such a negative backlash to writing something positive about the church? If I were going to go to the church headquarters and have a talk with top leaders, I would say, hey, man, you, you got to fix this. Uh, there's something broken here because there's and maybe it's because anytime you publicly say that there's a right and a wrong, then people are going to either glom onto that in a positive way or a negative way. But I, I was surprised at how angry certain people are about believers. And, I, you know, I think the believers sometimes get the rap that uh, they, they, they're judgmental of non-believers. Well, I found out through this exercise that there's a lot of non-believers who are pretty judgmental about believers. And uh, they think we're idiots or something because we have a little faith in something that we can't see with our own eyes or something that we feel a different way. And uh, that, that, even though I knew that in the back of my mind, that was uh, reestablished in a firm way by those who, who dislike the church. I will say this also, that I had contacts from people who said that they had worked uh, in advisory positions at the top of the church levels. And they said that these are things that the church thinks about the church by church. I say church leaders, and they're trying to guide this thing, I think, in a manner that does appeal to people. And they are concerned about some of the more negative uh, feelings that people have about the church and are looking for ways to make connections. And uh, I got a, I got an email from a guy who told me, Keep keep doing this. And this goes for you and Peggy, too, because he said, keep doing this because the folks at the top listen or pay attention to this stuff more than you might think. And and one guy, he, he compared me to the court jester. He said, <laughs> if you make them, if you make them laugh, they won't kill you, you know, <laughs> but but that they listen to you, you know, and they at least pay attention. I mean, I didn't get a call from Russell Nelson saying, hey, man, you know, come on in here. We need to talk about this stuff more. But he said that they duly take note of what Dave, you and Peggy write about the church and 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 maybe uh, someone who expresses opinion. Uh, and I think, you know, how it is with the church, they do. They are conscious of uh, public relations mm. and ways that they can reach people. And so anyway, that. That's more information than he wanted, but it, it's fascinating to me the the way some people love the church so much they're devout. Some people uh, they they believe, but they're sort of hanging on. They're hanging on out there, and then there are those 
who have left the church, and then there are those who absolutely hate the church. And that's interesting to me. So, Gordon, you start your column by embracing the church's emphasis on Jesus Christ and his atonement. Would you acknowledge that this is, uh, this is hardly unique among religions? So what about the LDS church's approach to Christ oppresses you? What's unique or different? Well, in the, in, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a student of every other religion out there like you are, Peggy. So I'm not exactly sure what all the attitudes are. All I know is that my experience with the church uh, in all my six, seven, eight, nine, ten decades I've been alive here uh, is that the, this, the emphasis on Christ's atonement is huge. I mean, I hear it every single time. Maybe not in every meeting like I joked about in the column. Sometimes things veer off in different directions. But every time some a meaningful discussion takes place, Jesus Christ is at the absolute center of it in, way, in ways that are, have been explained to me in comprehensive ways. I haven't heard other people talk about it. I mean, just it, it, it heals everything. It heals everything. It, it helps people gain forgiveness. It helps people grow. It helps people heal. It helps people who are troubled. It hurts people who have difficulties in their life. It, it, it helps everybody. Uh, it helps sin, uh, everything. And I think that's a great hope for people to feel that way, to feel that there is uh, a way to grow, to make their lives better, to do better, to have a greater hope for a better tomorrow. I mean, all of that st stuff comes into play. You talk to people who have lost loved ones. And again, through Christ, they feel confident that everything will be okay in the long run. And that is a doctrine that I find absolutely beautiful. And I, and when I read the New Testament, and yes, I do read the scriptures, folks. I'm not uh, Beelzebub himself. I do, I do read this stuff. I think Christ is the absolute rock star of the New Testament. And I write this. He's the smartest, the most compassionate, the wisest, the most loving like, just everything. He is everything. And man, I, I, I can believe that and I can embrace that. So uh, many of your items on your list had to do with how the church builds community from its welfare program to its men's groups, women's groups, to all the opportunities to serve. Why do you think that's so important? The community aspect. Uh, this is a, this is if. If Joseph Smith put all this together, whether he was inspired to do it or whether for the non-believers out there who think he just came up with this stuff, it, it, there, there are strokes of genius in this because there is a community everywhere you go. Peggy, I know you've been all over the, over, over the United States and probably all over the world, and you go to these different congregations, and in most cases, not every case, you are embraced the second you walk in that door. And I know there are exceptions to that, but on the whole, it is a brotherhood, a sisterhood. It is a community. And I understand that in some established places, some people feel left out. Uh, some people might not feel as engaged as they hope to be or they feel they want to be uh, because people are imperfect. They do make mistakes. But I do find it fascinating that this church was set up with you know, wards, branches, stakes, regionalization, where people can come together 
and 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 uh, form friendships and worship together in a way that is more than just walking in a church and walking back out. And and then you mentioned the service opportunities. When you you know this, when you go out and serve people, there's a bond, there's a connection that takes place with that. And from a socialization standpoint, that is absolutely brilliant. And it's helpful, too. So are you afraid at all? Or do you think that that community aspect might be changing or diminishing as the church acknowledges there's more singles than there are families? That really is. That's an issue, man. And that needs to be addressed. I, I actually sure put that in the first column I wrote, because so many singles are out there. And with the emphasis, I know people who won't go to church now because their family situations are shattered. And there are people who don't have any connection, men and women who are single, who who don't want to go to church and be preached about how great family is when they don't have one, or at least they don't have one that they are deeply connected to. So But that, in my opinion, makes it even more important for this community to surround and accept everybody, bring everybody in. It seems to me like some zealots out there, they want to uh, what they want to, you know, thin the herd. They want they want to shun people in some ways. And to me, if you're looking at this from a Christian standpoint, do everything you can to include everybody. It doesn't matter what your marital status is. It doesn't matter if you're divorced. It doesn't matter if if you have uh, 10 people in your household. It doesn't matter if you're the only one. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you uh, smell like smoke. It doesn't matter if you drink coffee in the morning. It doesn't matter if you're imperfect. These people who say you're either all in or all out, I think that's absolute BS. And it it, it bothers me that people want to say it that way, because what's the matter with everybody, whatever your status is, whatever your station in life is, no matter what your level of obedience is, no matter what you've been willing to sacrifice in your past, if someone walks through that door or shows some kind of interest in worshiping, at least in some way that is productive, Embrace those people. Bring them in. Don't shut them. Don't push them away. And that's that's that is both a benefit that the church can bring if it's done right, and it's also a weakness if it's done wrong. So, Gordon, you you talked about how you you just threw in the basketball courts at meeting houses as kind of a, just to keep it light, but. But do you see something beyond just that in in the fact that meeting houses have that? Yeah. And I mentioned that, that, you know, just because you're spiritually oriented uh, and you look to God to live doesn't mean you can't look to uh, or take advantage of opportunities for physical exercise. And this is something that you hear sometimes a criticism with the church, with the word of wisdom. They stress certain things to be avoided, but uh, maybe they should stress more things that uh, folks can do to stay as healthy as possible. Maybe those two are interchanged to some extent, but I like the fact that there's a basketball court in there. I've seen people at, uh, at ward houses, at churches, play basketball, play volleyball, play floor hockey, play all, you know, all kinds, play pickleball, play whatever. And I think being physical in this is part of, because if you feel crappy physically, it's difficult to be connected spiritually or intellectually or any other way. And so the fact that the, the church 
has that opportunity for physical activity is 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 really kind of a, a nice thing. I'm going to shift gears a little bit now. And you you talk about one of the things is that the church does not have a, a professional clergy um, uh, where, uh, you know, essentially a trained and educated minister gives a, a sermon every week that's, you know, uh, professionally prepared and presented. Instead, members of the congregation take turns at the microphone at the same time. You and you've even talked about it today that can veer off course sometimes, too. What do you like about that practice, though? Well, Warren, I love the fact that people can get up and speak in front of a group. That's a healthy thing to do, and it helps people figure out what they really believe, what they want to say to do it publicly like that. And it, uh, you know, <laughs> our times, we've all we've all been in church at times where we're going, my goodness, get me out of here. I'd rather be anywhere than here listening to this. And that can go on both sides. It can be somebody who veers off course doctrinally, or it can be somebody who who is uh, preaching the word hellfire and damnation, which really bugs me. I don't like to hear that crap. But anyway, people people all do it their own way. And uh, to me, I think that's another bonding experience to be able to hear what somebody has to say. And you might not agree with everything, but you might be able to learn something. Some people are very polished speakers and they can they can do it. And it's very educational, wonderful. And other people don't know what the hell they're doing. And they get up there and they just stumble and bumble around or they read something or they bore everybody. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a part because everybody is different. Everybody has their own way of doing things. But I, it is a way to get to know one another. And I mentioned the, the kids who get up there. Man, I'll tell you that I think a lot of LDS kids are polished because of that opportunity. They can they can talk to adults. They can uh, and feel they can do it with confidence. And that that, that is an exercise that is uh, valuable in many ways beyond religion. Uh, I think that can positively affect people in all their endeavors. So, Gordon, how old were you when you gave your first talk at church? Oh, man, I was in primary and I froze up. I was supposed to say something and I absolutely froze. And I, I well, you got over that apparently in life, right? I, I guess <laughs> I did, but I remember leaving and I was so embarrassed. And this really hot girl came up to me afterward and said, Oh, you did a good job. It's okay. It's okay. And I, I felt so embarrassed. I just walked away. So, I mean, uh, yeah, that was my first experience. But uh, since then, I've given many, many talks and it seems. Uh, how do I say this? I don't want to compliment myself, but because I get up there and just say it in a plain way, I, it's remarkable to me. It may offend some people or it might not be uh, everyone's cup of tea <laughs> or a cup of whatever. Uh, but but a lot of people come up to me afterwards and said, thank you for just saying it the way it is. One time I had to speak at a regional conference for young single adults or single adults anyway. And it, the place was absolutely packed and probably because I wanted to meet other singles and nothing to do with me. But I got up there and I gave what I thought was a spiritual talk. It was wonderful. Uh, it felt good to me. And I poured my heart out. And then they had a question and answer session afterward. And when they did that, the first person stood up with a microphone and said, yeah, I was shocked to find out that you're Mormon. Back then. <laughs> and the second question was, 
how do you think the Jazz are going to do this year? <laughs> so I, I, I thought, well, maybe I wasn't as effective as I thought I was communicating <laughs> what I wanted. On my Twitter page, I, uh, I have a saying from Cool Hand Luke that says, uh, a line, maybe you'll remember it, uh, where the, the, uh, the prison head or whatever. He says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And uh, on that occasion, I think I made, might've had a failure to communicate. I don't know. So the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square may have a new name, but it's still the premier performing group in the church. Have you heard them in person? And what would I have, you see the church do to capitalize on the choir? I, well, <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people who are not LDS who, who love listening to the choir and anything that if, if you look at it from a church standpoint, if you want to impress people, serve them, uh, have their best interests in mind and and inspire them. And that's what that choir does. It does to me and it does to a lot of people who, who wouldn't want to, you know, would rather jump off a bridge than join the Mormon, the LDS church. So if you have that kind of group, it's really effective to at least give them a taste of some bit of spirituality that uh, connects them in whatever way they feel is appropriate to, to heaven. And that's what I think the Tabernacle Choir does. Uh, I mentioned in the column when after 9-11, uh, and I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, Peggy and Dave, both of you guys are long timers, but the, the, the choir sang on the, on the floor of what was in, I think, the Delta Center. And I'm telling you, they were just in plain clothes. They went out on that floor and they sang a song. And I mean, I, I don't easily turn to tears, but man, in that setting, I was uh, emotionally moved by that. And I looked around and all these people that are hard, gristled dudes <laughs> were, were wiping tears away. And if a choir has that kind of power to do that, then it's a, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And, and by the way, I also mentioned in there that I wish that they would sing Stairway to Heaven or Let It Be or American Pie, something like that, because I'd like to hear the choir rendition of a real classic uh, rock anthem. They have sung Somewhere Over the Rainbow and also go <laughs> <laughs> through the tulips. I mean, that's <laughs> maybe the new maybe the new hymn book, Gordon. Maybe there's hope there. See if they can work that in. <laughs> so some people might be surprised. Some of our readers might be surprised to to see your belief in miracles on the list. Have you have you witnessed any miracles? Do you think they're important? All right, now you've done it, Peggy. Now I'm going to have to share something that I is very personal to me, and I usually don't talk about this, and I hope I don't get emotional about it, but. Um, let me let me gather myself for a second. I uh, <clears throat> I was born in 1957, and I was three months premature. And uh, the doctors told my parents I would die. There was no way. I weighed two pounds, and you know I know that they've made some advances in this way since then, but it's a tricky business. And you know I I should have died, I, I guess. And my dad went to the church. It was on a Sunday morning. My dad went to the church and asked the people in that congregation to, to, to pray. And they did. And I lived. And the doctors all thought it was a miracle. 
And I told my dad in the Mormon belief, you know, if you die as an infant, then you go straight to to heaven. And uh, I told my dad that since he uh, enabled me to live and and live and bump and skid my way through this life and just do be the sinner I am, that now I'm probably going to burn in hell, you know, because <laughs> because of the miracle that took place. But and I have seen that happen with other people. The tricky thing with miracles is that sometimes they work out the way people want and sometimes they don't. And I hate that feeling, say, in a fast and testimony meeting when somebody gets up and says, yeah, my little Johnny, he was in a car accident and he he survived through God's uh, great blessing. And then I look across and I see somebody else who had a child who uh, was not fortunate to have a miracle happen in their life. And I feel you have to be careful with the miracle thing, because, look, ultimately, that's up to man upstairs whether somebody makes it through in a miraculous way or doesn't. And so I think LDS people and people of all faiths need to be careful with that and sensitive to that, that sometimes it doesn't work out the way they hoped it would. But it's no reflection on on the worthiness of, of the individual involved. Anytime I hear that happen, yeah, something wonderful happened, a miracle happened to my child. They must have some great thing that they're to, to accomplish in their life. And then I think about like Job, who was getting beat up and and, and uh, tested and hurt and uh, afflicted in every way. And his friends turn their backs on him, say, man, you must have really screwed up in a bad way. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a reward for any kind of thing anybody deserves or doesn't deserve. So, Gordon, you you talk about you love the idea of modern prophets, of, of certain humans being a conduit to the heavens and and mouthpieces for God. But at the same time, uh, you and church leaders themselves acknowledge their fallibility. Uh, what do you see about positives about so-called church teaching of continuous revelation? Well, the positive in it is that the church can change. And some people say, oh, they do that just for political favor or whatever. Uh, but it's a good feeling for those who are believers that their leaders have some sort of guidance from up above. Yeah, they're human. And man, I've heard some of the things some of the prophets have said through the years, both in ancient times and in modern times. And some of it I disagree with, but a lot of it is really, really good. I think they are human. I think they are uh, liable to make mistakes at times, but, uh, but, but I like the idea that there's somebody who has some sort of connection to guide the church in a general way and to guide people. I mean, some of the things I read that Moses did or some of these old Testament prophets, I'm sitting going, wow, what was he doing that for? <laughs> but, uh, so, so I think that's probably been the case from the very beginning. Do you think there's things that members should understand differently about modern prophets and, and prophets? No, I think they've always been human. I've always, I think they've always made mistakes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is pretty consistent just because of the human condition. But then there are those who say, well, if the church was really true, then they would be inspired in every way. And that's a pretty strong argument, actually. And I'm not sure that I have a good answer for it. I just know that people are 
are fallible. People make mistakes sometimes. People are subject to the prevailing thoughts of the day and whatever their childhood or adulthood experience has been, there are there are influences there. But uh, but a lot of what I hear sounds pretty inspired to me. So are there things that you wish you would have included on the list that you either didn't have room or didn't think of them? Yeah, it's interesting you asked me that, Peggy, because I I was sort of compiling a mental list of about five different things I didn't put in there. But uh, none of them are coming to mind right at this exact moment. Uh, <laughs> look, the the most I, I think I included the most important things to me. Uh, I mean, I really. And number one and number 20 are, are the two most important. I love the idea that this thing is founded on Christ. And I know that it's kind of funny in our modern day. If you hear an athlete or you hear somebody say after a, a game, a praise God or praise Jesus, a lot of people, it's a real turnoff for them. Uh, and maybe it is because they usually say that after they've won. And so that might be the ultimate form of smack talk or trash talk to say, praise God, it's God's will. And well, it's God's will that I won. Yay me. He must favor me over all you losers out there. <laughs> you know, so I think folks have to be a little careful about it. But I, I love the idea of Christ. When I read the New Testament, that came through to me really strong. And I don't think this is any, like you said earlier, Peggy, it's not exactly a unique belief. I mean, what, there's a billion some Christians out there, I mean, who who must have some strong foundational feeling about Christ. But to me, that's everything, not only because of the opportunity he provides from a standpoint of, of progress, of growth, of forgiveness, uh, but also the whole eternal life thing. Um, it, you know, I love the idea that we live forever. <laughs> I, I love the idea that no matter what your condition is in this life, no matter how difficult you have it, whether whether it's mental or physical or emotional, that that it can be made whole, that it can be made clean, and that it can be that way forever and ever. And time is too big for me to figure out. I can't understand in my puny little brain the beginning and the end and how did it start and how will it all end. I, I don't know all that, but I love the idea that we can be made whole. And by we, I mean darn near everybody. I mean, I don't know about people like Hitler or Stalin or whoever. I don't know how that all works, but I'll leave that up to somebody who's a lot smarter than I am to figure that stuff out. You know, the other thing about that, the whole using Christ as as the judge, the, the thing I love about that is if I had if I had been born into a, a certain situation, I probably would have been. a. I mean, there's no telling what I would have done, you know, or, or what kind of influences would have changed my life. And I was in a situation where I was able to be uh, nurtured and and uh, grow. And I'm not saying that I'm all that great or anything like that. But I mean, I'm not in jail, you know, and and if I were born into certain circumstances, I might be. Uh, and I so I'm not going to it's hard for me to from a from a righteousness, eternal righteousness standpoint. Uh, it's hard for me to I hesitate to judge people 
because I don't know the, what the, the shoes they've walked in. I don't know the difficulties they've seen in their life, but I love the idea that Christ knows all that and can help us uh, figure out what's best for us in the long run. And I really think that's what this whole thing is. What's best for us in the long run. I don't look at this as this is a test. This is a probationary state. And if you screw up, you're screwed for good. I, What's the use of that? I, I, I just don't think that makes any sense to me from a religious standpoint. So maybe I would stress that a little more, the idea of not judging people, even though I think there are a lot of folks in the church who do that. And for me professionally, I judge people uh, in some ways. So maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite in that that way. But as far as eternal stuff goes, I, I, I'll leave that to a, a smarter, stronger, more powerful wiser being than 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 me i i i can't judge people from that standpoint well gordon monson we look forward to your next uh theological exploration (laughs) (laughs) at this rate dave i don't know i mean i i still it's interesting because the reaction that i've gotten from these two columns i mean i've been writing these i've been writing columns for a long long time but it's remarkable to me how strongly people feel Either those who are believers and those who are non-believers, man, it strikes something within them that's powerful. And uh, in some respects, I think what you and Peggy do, Dave, is really resonates with the community in one direction or the other and and strikes a, a, a tone with them that is uh, either meaningful or at least important enough for them to complain about. Yeah, our our emails would attest to that fact, right, Peggy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, thanks for joining us today, Gordon. Yeah. Uh, sorry for the preachment. So, but uh, I, uh, you know, these are things that are important to me personally and important to a lot of people. But I certainly, I certainly don't judge people who who write me and say, "Hey, I don't believe any of this stuff." I mean, look, that that that's everybody's idea to. Uh, experience what they experience in this life and to make uh, make their lives, whatever it is they, that is most important to them. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels, we remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormon land newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up and we'll talk again next time on Mormon land. 